Hi everyone, welcome to the Green Living Podcast that I'm hosting together with Vanessa Champion. Hi Ness, how are you doing? I'm good, thanks Alex, nice to see you again. Um, yeah, I suppose like everyone else, I'm sort of shocked really about what's happening in Ukraine, how things are unfolding. Yeah, that is that is deeply, deeply sad. I mean, I, I, I share the same feeling, this is, I'm, I'm shocked, I'm, I'm sad and I, I, I never thought that I would see an invasion like this in my lifetime. And mm. uh, I, I got wonderful memories of several visits I make to, made to, to Kiev for my work mm. um, throughout the, the, the last 20 years or so and, and, and the people I met there. And now the thought of the human suffering that's inflicted on all these innocent people, that, yeah, it literally keeps me away. Mm, yeah, I mean, you think about it, when we, we did the first of these podcasts just a week ago, and, you know, and it was actually Tuesday, the same thing, and how different the world is, you know, how different um, how different things are already for every, you know, for many, many people. I mean, we, we spoke about green cities and sort of biophilic design enhancements and, and obviously environmental issues and, and things, but, um, you know, so we decided to make this a weekly podcast, but, um, yeah, how differently the world looked, you know. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 crazy. It's just five days ago that this all started, and uh, I wrote last night about Ukraine in uh, in my newsletter. Um, the bigger context uh, I, I mentioned of all these crises uh, that we find ourselves in today. So there's, there was the IPCC report that was published yesterday, and that reminded us of of the urgency and the, and the severity of the climate crisis, basically saying there's there's not a second to lose. We really have to get get to get to action now. And it's 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 a repetition of what they've been saying for many years, but it's it's more severe, it's worse than ever before. And then on top of that there's the pandemic and then there's the water crisis. And all these crises reinforce each other so the ukraine crisis will contribute to the food crisis the ukraine is, is a food basket um, mm. and and it will contribute to the refugee crisis and of course uh, the energy crisis and, and we live in a time of compounded risks and many people will ask themselves what each of us individually or perhaps what what was your community you you can do about all this well i suppose that's really where um, green living comes in um, energy prices, you say, you know, are soaring at the moment, and it's likely to get worse. You know, so the flow of gas to Europe is going to be disrupted. It's it's definitely going to get worse. And um, you know, but um, there are so many things that we can do at home and and in your business and your school and you know, if you you know, sort of large scale community things as well, things like urban farming, um, but in your home as well, you know, sort of just bringing it closer to home. So we feel like we can do something. Renewable energy, you know, switching your car to hybrid. Um, or better still, you can cycle or, or you can walk. Um, you know, see, one of the main concerns, actually in the UK, um, surprisingly to some, um, is energy poverty, uh, where people actually don't have enough money to pay for the fuel. I mean, some of them don't even have, pay, have, have enough money to pay for the fuel at the moment, particularly the older generation. And I'm just, I'm just scared what, what's going to happen, you know, in the, in the, in the, in the days and the weeks and, the, and, and particularly the months to come. Yeah, I, I noticed this morning I was looking on Twitter and, and I saw that the hashtag energy crisis is, is trending mm. um, and uh, or energy cost as well. So if, if you look under those hashtags, you see an enormous amount of people complaining. And of course, in these days, we should be aware that some of them may be paid bots from some kind of bot factory 
because there may be powers in the world that that have an interest in uh, in having more complaints uh, on on accounts about the energy crisis. But if you look more careful at where it comes from, and I saw that some of them were clearly bots with just one follower uh, established just just four or five days ago, and now only complaining about the energy, but. Others are really serious accounts. You can easily recognize them. And you see stories of people, you know, with low income and then their energy prices uh, go up from, from uh, one went up from, I think, 1,100 pounds to, to 1,800 pounds in a year. So that's, that's a rise of something like uh, 70% or so. And that is... Mm-hmm. Of course, that is not compensated by by your salary. Nobody's salary goes up seventy uh, percent, mm-hmm. and, and unless you're you're the boss of Amazon uh, during uh, during uh, during a pandemic, mm-hmm. uh, and then it goes up much more than seventy yeah. percent. So, uh, yeah. So, so there will be a, a lot of um, uh, a lot of hardship, and um, so. Mm-hmm. The energy prices was already a structural problem, um, and there, it, it's, it's also caused by old housing. And mm. Basically, in most of our Western countries, our houses are not prepared for the 21st century um, challenges. And so, yeah, so there will be increasingly energy poverty, which is hard to define, but, but think of anything from uh, from bad houses with leaky roofing to uh, people's difficulties to, to pay the utility bills and the last thing is, 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 is what I'm mainly thinking of. And um, I also saw that the indicators for energy poverty, they are different from country to country. So um, mm-hmm. so that it's, it's not well defined, but it's, um, it's a phenomenon. If you think about people not being able to pay the bills, that is... Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that is going to be a growing uh, issue. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, yeah, there's a, even lots of lots of uh, talk about, as you say, the energy poverty, but what do you do about it? Um, you know, and, I, and as I mentioned, the older generation as well. I mean, often they might, they're living in older houses, you know, older homes that might not be insulated properly. Um, they might have had fireplaces because they can't, you know, in, in these sort of places you don't have, the, you know, the, you're, you're not allowed to use fossil fuels anymore and or they can't get access to them or whatever it is. Um, but it's, you know, especially in social housing here in the UK, it's, it's incredibly bad. You know, the pollution that comes off the... Um, the walls and um, you know with the the dampness is causing asthma which puts a strain on the um, it puts a strain on the uh, the economy because obviously they're trying to pay for you know the the housing support and things but I mean what we can do obviously is looking at insulation Um, you can fix your leaky roof (laughs) you can also look at your overuse of energy I mean do you leave all your plugs on I must drive everybody around the bend, I've got to say, <laughs> because I pull everything out. I pull all the plugs out. I remember reading about, um, that must, must have been 30 years ago, I remember reading that there's like a trickle, there's like a slight trickle of energy that go, even when your plug's plugged into the socket that it comes out. So I've, I just pull everything out. I switch everything off. Um, and just, just little things like that that we can, we can all do, you know, conserving energy. Do we need to put our, like, you know, the classic thing of do we need our boiler at 21 degrees? You know, if we turn it down a few notches, you know, 19 degrees, it's kind of a comfortable, you know, you just put a jumper on or something. You know, I'm not saying we all should just live in like an igloo kind of environment. And, you know, but, you know, if we, if we are strapped for cash, we do need to take the thing in our own hands and, uh, 
and actually um, and then you know fix things. Um, yeah, obviously yeah. the gas price is going to be an issue. Um, car pricing. I mean, already they, over here our uh, our um, diesel and petrol has gone up increasingly. You know, it's just, it's really really bad. Um, but I mean, there are subsidies for insulation, for instance. You know. Um, yeah, yeah. If you what you just say in, in putting down. Uh, the temperature if you just put it down one degree celsius lower that saves seven mm. percent on your energy bill so yeah put, put on some, some big woolen mm. socks and, and and a sweater and and you save seven <laughs> percent and uh and also what you say about all these all these electricity yeah. plugs it's, it's very simple if you feel a plug and it feels warm let's say the charger of of your uh, smartphone even if your phone is not in it if it feels warm, then it is using energy. Um, so then you mm-hmm. you better pluck it out, or you have like a more central switch where you can can pluck out a, a series of them. Um, I'm not as good as you in, in, in pulling all of them out, but maybe I should, I should uh, change my mind. But I am somebody who's always putting out all the lights everywhere, so uh, that's, uh, that 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 saves a lot. And of course, with uh, with uh, the newer kind of light bulbs, you uh, you, you save a lot. Um, the problem is that people now keep more lights burning because they think it's um, it's it's so cheap nowadays, which is now rapidly changing, of course. And yeah, on insulation, um, I remember I insulated my house on, on the island in the Netherlands uh, now mm. about five years ago, and I, I paid about 2,000 euros for that. And the guy that did it, he told me that I earned it back in about three years, which part of that's probably his marketing. So let's say in reality, it's more like, like four or five years, but you can you can quickly earn it back. But... For a lot of people, they don't have that amount of money available mm. to, to pay at once. So that's typically where the government can come in. They can, they can either subsidize it or or give you a loan or at least make it make the threshold lower. Because at the end of the day, it's, it's good not only for the person living in the house because your bill is lower, but it's also better for the environment. So we we all have an interest that all the houses are are getting better insulated. And as you say, it's better better for health as well. Yeah, it's true. I mean, some of the insulation solutions obviously pose their own problems, like those little polystyrene balls. Uh, when I moved into this house, um, I used to do some gardening outside. I used to I planted these sort of green beans and and, and my tomatoes, and and I and these little sort of little white balls were appearing from nowhere. It was kind of by the, one of the doors at the side, and I was where are these these little white balls coming from? And I, I, it took me about three years to work out that actually it was the insulation in the house. So there was <laughs> that there was little tiny there was a little hole at the bottom of the wall that obviously I don't know if a mouse had got in there or whatever. So heaven heaven help the poor little mouse that must have been eating the polystyrene balls as well. <laughs> Probably high on on uh, plastic. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but um, I mean, you know, I personally, I, I've, I've watched so many like eco, pro, you know, programs, and I love the idea of wrapping my home in sheep wool. Yeah, you can do this. I mean, I, I get some veg boxes, and, and often they're they're wrapped and they use sheep wool as insulation instead of using the sort of the plastic um, stuff. And um, and it's just great. My cat used to love it. Actually, she used to sit inside it, which is probably wrong, but <laughs> it was lovely. 
I mean, there's other sort of um, solutions for energy um, as well. You know, obviously, it's not just your your, your insulation. It's, it's actually the energy itself. Uh, obviously, I've travelled like you have, Alex, loads and loads of places in the developing world. For instance, you know, there's solar power and, and sort of cowpoo, cowpoo gas. Um, when I was in Uganda, there was a huge, a huge fat of cowpoo <laughs> in this farm in the middle of nowhere. And um, I was staying on this farm. I was kind of I was a guest while I was doing this photography job. And um, and there was this copper pipe, this tiny weenie little copy, copper pipe. I say tiny weenie, tiny weenie in diameter. But it must have been, I don't know, about 100 metres long. <laughs> and it was it was lying along the ground, you know, connected to this massive, you know, basically what looked like a nuclear bunker <laughs> full of cowpoo, um, which was connected directly to a kitchen tap where she was cooking. This lady was cooking and I'm thinking this is a recipe for disaster. But, um, yeah, I kind of um, obviously <laughs> there's, uh, there's there's all sorts of solutions, really, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot we can learn from 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 developing world, but I'm I'm not too fond of of, of the cowpoo approach to uh, to eat my home at all. <laughs> we have a lot of cows now in the Netherlands, so, so you know, uh, I, th- I think this 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 type really has to be creative because it's it's mm. going to be uh, it's it's it's, it's going to be difficult with the energy yeah. situation. Whatever's going to happen now. Um, mm. And uh, so, so last week it was the in, in the first International Energy Poverty Action Week, and uh, mm-hmm. where, where researchers and policymakers and and also industry industry insiders from Europe and Asia and Africa and Latin America they they all came together to discuss these solutions. And I think that's a that's a good example that they do this on a worldwide basis and also including mm-hmm. both the, the the global north and the global south there. And, and see what you can can learn from each other, and um, yeah, so it 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 also fits a bit with the the new awareness in in the EU um, about uh, energy and environment and climate change that you can see in in, in the European Green Deal, uh, which is uh, as as most people will know. Uh, aim to to make Europe the first uh, climate neutral continent in the world. Um, so all sectors of the economy in the EU should be made fit to, to meet this challenge. And the, the Green New Deal is also about setting the EU on a path to, to reach uh, its climate targets by 2030 in a, in a fair and a cost-effective and competitive way. And those are uh, three things that are, are difficult to, to, to balance. You want to have it fair, but also competitive and also cost-effective. And uh, yeah, now with the ongoing gas crisis that is, that mm. is rapidly uh, escalating and we, haven't, we, we, we don't know where it's going from mm. here because the, 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 the news is, is, is changing by the hour. Um, this has now sensitized national governments to, to, to the urgency and it will push them to adopt um, policy solutions on the one hand to, to help vulnerable households across Europe to, to pay their energy bills because the a rise of 70% is, is just unacceptable for, 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 for many households, mm. um, nor is it fair. Um, mm. So that is one push. Another push is, of course, that um, I hope, as somebody who's really concerned about climate change, that this is now a wake-up call for countries to really 
move into um, uh, into other source of of, of energy, move into renewable energy, uh, use wind and solar, um, and and take take inspiration from the example of Denmark because Denmark was in 1973 it was for 90% dependent on imported oil and then the oil crisis came the first one and there was another one at the end of the, of the 70s decade in, in 79 and what Denmark then decided was not so much for environmental reasons but they just said we don't want to have that in that dependence anymore on oil that comes from countries that have quite a different regime with different interests than uh, than the democracy in Denmark itself, and so they started on on different paths. It was not just uh, wind energy. They they started on different paths to become independent on energy. So they tried nuclear, but there were a lot of protests against uh, nuclear. Um, they tried to use more coal, which is, of course, from from a point of view of climate change, a really bad one. And wind was one of them. And increasingly, because of the more environmental awareness, both about fossil fuels as well as uh, about nuclear, they started to develop wind. And then by being a first mover in developing these wind turbines, they are now uh, leading in Europe and one of the, the leading nations in the world in wind energy so by by being a first mover towards uh, a new a more clever and a, and a more modern uh, way of delivering energy uh, they have now uh, a huge economic win as well it, it, it delivers jobs mm-hmm. it's a center of, of, of innovation for these kind of technologies it's exporting their technology worldwide and that is uh, the kind of move that Europe should make in, in just rapidly moving now into uh, into more renewable energy and uh, this what what happened in in the past days is is a wake up call. I think Germany is as as the motor of the European economy is for fifty seven percent dependent on uh, on Russian gas. So some countries in mm. the European Union are for hundred percent dependent on on Russian gas. Um, uh, it, 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 it is a situation that, uh, that I think nobody in, in the EU wants at this moment, um, nor should we have wanted this in, in, in the past, but I think now it's, uh, mm-hmm. so I said those crises are stacking up and are, are, mm-hmm. uh, these are compounded crises like, like the energy and the climate crisis, etc. They're all interrelated. They make each other worse, but it's also that if you go for, solution for one crisis you also end up stronger in, in solving uh, some of the uh, of the other crises yeah absolutely i think the sort of the denmark is a is a really good example i didn't realize that i didn't i didn't know i mean i, I did, knew a little bit but i didn't realize that they made after the war you know they, they actually you know the old crisis they actually said right actually we're going to do it, do it ourselves and, and and do it better really i think like you say there's an opportunity here um if we look at it we turn it on, on its head and make it positive um, I mean, just to sort of circle back really on like the heating subsidies that governments are doing. I mean, I know this is, Denmark's got a heating package and obviously the, the Dutch, you mentioned like some tax discount on en- energy bills. I mean, there are short term remedies um, that does need a longer term plan, like you've just said about, you know, in Denmark. Um, but uh, like we mentioned before, I mean, you need to improve the quality of the housing stock as well. 
um, it's okay building new houses, but there's still people living in in in, in rubbish homes <laughs> um, that really need, you know, they really need fixing. Um, and and it's and it's you can imp- you know you can improve them cost effectively. There's obviously a gap that's that's widening um, in terms of um, you know this energy poor uh, populace. Um, and it's not just um, like you know the sort of southern and eastern European member states that we you, you kind of wouldn't naturally assume would be energy poor. This is happening in in sort of you know western states like as you say like sort of Denmark and Netherlands, um, and and also in the UK. I mean I've mentioned it before, but I've you know I've sort of been working with a company called Matilda's Planet, um, and they were bringing um, insulation um, into poor homes into social housing. Um, and councils and, and things and, and, and doing it a cost-effective way really quickly and more than anybody else. Um, I mean, you know, really sort of, you know, it can be deemed like sort of energy poverty is a small issue that, oh, well, you know, you can just brush it off and stick it under a social policy. But this is a bigger, this is a bigger issue here. Um, you know, there's, um, there's a thing called the National Energy Climate Plans um, where, um, like for, uh, Denmark and the Netherlands, um, you know, um, include that they don't, they don't have any specific national objectives to limit these issues. But um, there is a huge, as I'm saying, there's this huge gap between the sort of low and higher income households, you know, experiencing the different aspects of energy poverty. And it, as I said, it's widening. So it just, it just needs to be, it needs to be addressed more. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's one of those many crises that we see now in the world. So I, 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 I mentioned like climate and the pandemic and Ukraine, but, but one of the crises that we're dealing with is, is actually the inequality crisis. Inequality yeah. is rising in practically every country in the world. It's rising between countries. Mm. And all those other crises, like for instance, the climate crisis, increases inequality climate is uh, so we we produce it in the north and then countries in the south are put further behind uh in in uh, compared to countries in the north and you also see that within countries um inequalities are rising and and you can imagine for instance if um let's it's it's easy to understand if you say that for instance uh, you, you would normally pay, let's say, 10% of your income is spent on heating your house. Um, if that becomes twice as expensive, it is like 20% of your income uh, that you that you spent on heating your house. But if you are, let's say, Bill Gates, he doesn't spend 10% of, 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 of his money on, on, on earning his house, although his house is likely bigger than yours or mine. For him, it's 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 peanuts. So you see that people that are so when 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 prices rise, you see that that uh, people that are are let's say in the, in the lower income levels, they are pushed in 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 more difficult situations. And uh, so you need a social policy to, to to keep everybody on board. And I wonder, for instance, if you compare Europe and, let's say, the United States, how how that's going to work out. Of course, Mm. the oil markets worldwide are really connected. The gas markets are not so much. Um, The gas markets are roughly, let's say, one in Asia, one in Europe, and one in in the U.S. So although they're, of course, in the end, everything is connected, but they're, they're more separated than the oil market. So I'm not sure what this will do. Uh, for for gas in the United States, and also because of the uh, the enormous increase in in, in fracking in, in the past decade, a little bit more than the past decade, um, the the 
independence on, on, on gas of, of the US has, has grown enormously. Mm. Um, so, but at the end of the day, these prices are still connected. And it's, it's also a question of how higher energy prices will impact the feeling of um, the feeling of poverty, the feeling of inflation. Because if there's one thing that reminds, especially Americans that are so mobile in their cars, if there's one thing that reminds Americans of inflation, that is that if they drive, you have like every few miles a gas station and that puts out a huge sign of what you pay for uh, for a gallon. So you're reminded of these numbers every day. So the benchmark for inflation for the average American is what they pay for the gas for their car. Of course, in Europe, that's that's a different thing. I mean, many people don't have a car. We just use public transport uh, or we use our, our bicycle, uh, nor do we have those, those enormous uh, road signs so much, nor do we have that many petrol stations because we have all kinds of other things next to the road. Um, so it's it's that that feeling of inflation is more felt by what you pay in the supermarket, etc. But but the real inequality crisis and the feeling that inequality is is rising is uh, something that is uh, that is not good and that uh, that needs attention. Mm-hmm. Um, and and in in saying all that, I already mentioned bicycles because we, <laughs> I promised in my tweet or in the announcement of of this podcast that we would also talk about bicycles. So I I, <laughs> I, I hand it back to you when we talk about uh, bicycles. <laughs> well, thanks, uh, Alex. Well, yeah, I mean, I know that you're a keen cyclist. I know you cycle lots, and obviously, being Dutch, we assume that you're connected. You know, you're born with cycles. <laughs> so, um, but um, I used to be. I used to sort of whiz around a cycle path. When I, I lived in Manchester at one point, as I was Manchester city centre, it was I was you know I used to whiz up and down on the you know the main road from Didsbury all the way into the centre, up Curry Mile, um, and then so you know kind of you know take no prisoners on the on the on the roads, um, and then before that. I had a little uh, an art shop and a sort of music music shop gallery and a bookshop. So when I used to live, I was on this sort of cycle, this sort of towpath by the canal. So I'd be like this wicked witch of the western, or you know, kind of hurtling, <laughs> hurtling past everybody to get to the, the you know the, the shop and open it in time before everybody sort of banged the door down. You wouldn't think that people would be so shirty trying to get into a bookshop, but you'd be surprised. <laughs> so, um, but uh, you know, we've got a few. I mean, it's sort of cycle paths and and things here, and um, I mean, some are falling into disrepair, but. Um, you know, and I've, I've been thinking about getting a new bike, actually. But actually, just as a thought, I mean, the listeners who are listening at the moment, um, you know, what do, what do you think about cycle paths? Are they in your city or in your town? Do you use them? Um, I'd love to hear what you think and love to hear if you're um, actually, you know, if you're a sort of average cycler, if you cycle a lot. Um, do mention in the comments. Um, I can't see them, but I'm sure Alex can see them. Um, I've probably got a rubbish phone, so I can't see that bit. But um, um, I, I did hear actually that uh, Glasgow City Council are, um, are you know, planning these cycle networks. There's a, it's a, the, the £475 million they're going to do on this sort of cycle network, which is which is fantastic. And obviously we've had COP26 up there Um which is great. Um, they're planning 270 kilometres of cycleways. I didn't even know there was 270 kilometres worth of road space in Glasgow, but obviously there, there must be. Um, there's, there's shed loads of environmental benefits and act, you know, getting you healthy as well and, um, and all sorts of things. Um, 
you know, one of the things that they try to do is to, is to make sure that everybody who cycles can reach every most of the city within 30 minutes i mean that's kind of the aim of what what's 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 happening in glasgow but i think that's really a a good thing to have even 10 minutes how about that um you know if you could be living near places where you know there are um your shops and your school and your education and your healthcare and everything like that um within 10 20 minutes of where you are but if you can do that on a bicycle um even 30 minutes is fantastic it's better than being in a car because you know you sort of you can, uh, you can listen to the birds, <laughs> all that kind of stuff. Um, and obviously, um, for the environmental stuff as well, about being, you know, being um, reducing transport related carbon emissions, um, you know, reducing, reducing a reliance on private vehicles as well. Uh, and um, yeah, it's, it's, it's got to be a really good thing. I mean, what do you think? What do you think about um, cycles? I should say the cycle paths. Do you think we should have more of them? <laughs> Silly question to you, really. Well, in, your experience? In, in the Netherlands, we have to everywhere of course but it's people always say that you know dutch people are always on their bike but it it wasn't like that uh until the 1970s so i mentioned mm. uh, denmark and and how the oil crisis of 73 impacted them and and mm. denmark then focused onto uh independence of of energy what happened in the netherlands was as well as in denmark by the way is that we said we want to have more people on bicycles because then we will just use uh, so much less uh, energy for cars um, uh, which is for instance the main thing in the United States where everybody's in a car you, most of the energy used in America is, is, is driving a car which is a silly thing because the thing that you want to transport that is yourself <laughs> that is about 10% of the weight of the car because you're so any car that is driving is 90% of what's being moved with a lot of energy is something that doesn't need to be moved you don't need to move your car somewhere you want to move yourself somewhere so if you take a bicycle that is only a fraction of your own weight um, you move yourself and the bicycle which is adds maybe just you know a few percentage to the total weight that is uh, being moved so what? So that's what we did in the Netherlands. It was also that cities were completely, if you see pictures of the Netherlands of the 1970s, uh, pictures of Amsterdam or other inner cities, it was completely one, one big traffic jam. Uh, still those motors that were producing horrible smoke that was coming out. And nowadays it's, it's much cleaner, of course. Uh, so the cities were polluted, they were noisy, they were dangerous with all the cars, and everybody got completely frustrated by sitting in that car the whole day. So what they did is the kind of counterintuitive, in a way, is um, narrowing a lot of roads and, and uh, denying access to a lot of roads and make them available for, for cyclists. And now... Something that you just mentioned, like in Glasgow, you must be able to get anywhere in 30 minutes. Hmm. It's uh, That's the way it works in, in the Netherlands. I'm never more than 30 minutes on my bicycle unless I do a cycling tour for a day. But normally I'm, I'm on my bicycle for like anywhere between 5 and, and, and 30 minutes. And I do my shopping. I go to, to visit friends. I go to, to the beach, uh, that kind of thing. Hmm. I do all that on my bike, but I always went to my work on my bike as well. Any job I ever had in the Netherlands, I always went by bike and there were maybe maybe just five days a year that it was raining so much or that I had to transport something bigger or something that I that I used my car. Um, for instance, in the Ministry of Foreign Affairs in, in, in the Netherlands, in The Hague, um, 
I believe for the whole ministry, there's 5,000 people working there. We have 25 parking places. Um, that is for people that are handicapped or something. But if you want to come by car, you just work it out yourself where you leave this car. You can park it for something like 20 euros a day somewhere. Um, or you just go by train or you go by bicycle. Hardly anybody mm. goes by car. And a few people do go by car. Uh, but then they, they, they park their car and, and, and pay a high price for it. So it is, um, it's a change that we, we made in the 1970s that, that really changed our country. It made ourselves also more, more healthy. I mean, cycling has, uh, as far as I know, huge, um, huge health benefits. Um, but maybe yeah. we'll talk more about that. <laughs> Well, it's, it's good for your joints for a start. Um, <laughs> obviously, it gets rid of your fat levels as well, which is good. Um, but I mean, the, you know, the actual pressure on your on your bones actually it actually strengthens your bones as well. It increases, you know, it helps your posture, your coordination, um, also your muscle strength and, and flexibility as well. Good for your heart. So it's good for your cardiovascular fitness. Um, I mean, there's shed loads. And also, it's just stress levels. Being active anyway is good for your stress levels. But uh, I think, um, you know, being on a bi- bicycle is, is um, increases your, your um, or, or rather decreases your stress levels, I should say. I was going to say increases your calmness, but that, <laughs> that's not quite right if you're, if you're being chased by a squirrel. I keep saying, talking about squirrels. I've got a thing about squirrels, as, as, as your podcast listeners will probably get to learn. <laughs> if I don't mention a squirrel in a podcast, write in. <laughs> <laughs> you can make a theme out of it for one of our podcasts. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The Squirrel Podcast. Um, yeah. yeah, but I mean, it's, it's, such a, it's such a really great way of, of just also socializing too. Um, you know, I think um, it's, it's great because you can meet your friends, you can meet for a coffee. There's lots of um, uh, cycle cafes actually opening up in the UK um, I don't know, listeners, I don't know if there's one near you, but um, there's, there's two or three where I live. Um, I'm in the Chiltern Hills and there's like lots and lots of them, uh, which is fantastic. I mean, but there's also, I mean, just the, the obvious reason is economic uh, benefits as well. Yeah, um, you yeah know. well, it's, it's if you compare it to a car, you just pay 1% <laughs> of, 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 of the cost of buying and maintaining a car. So it's, yeah. clearly it is, it is, it is cheaper. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, I saw a calculation that if you ride a bicycle 10 kilometers each day to work, uh, that saves you about $1,700 per year in transport cost, including all the, all the costs and, and, and uh, depreciation. Mm-hmm. Um, and the parking is usually free. And there's another thing. You can park much closer uh, to your office normally, at least in European cities. It is really difficult to get to any office or wherever you want to be in an inner city and also park your car there. And uh, you, you may quickly get to the city, but once you, 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 you go through the outskirts of the city and you move towards the center, um, you lose a lot of time waiting in your car and you see all these people in their bicycles speeding past you and they go much faster. And then you have to park like, five or ten minutes walking away <laughs> from wherever you want to go. Um, and by the time you arrive, you see the same bicycle that passed you is already parked against the building and, <laughs> and these people are inside. So it's, 
um, you're constantly reminded of how silly it is to to to, <laughs> to drive drive a car. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, because as well, bikes do less damage to road surfaces as well than cars, obviously, because they're lighter. Unless, of course, you've eaten lots of pies, <laughs> then they might not be. Um, but it's obviously they've estimated the cost of congestion is five billion a year, five billion dollars a year. Um, you know, obviously, with uh, you know, sort of more bikes and fewer cars on the road, of course, it's going to reduce the congestion and associated costs. Um, you know, see, there's, which you mentioned before, there's, um, you know, the, the, you have more people in taking car trips to school, for instance, you know, that are in within walking distance. Um, why, why are they doing that? Why did it? It really annoys me. That annoys me. It's just one of my things. You get, you get, you, I'm stuck behind, you know, just nipping to the shops or if I'm, you're trying to get on to join the main road to do a long distance drive, which, you know, I should be getting in the, in the train, but we can talk about that another, another time. Um, but, you, you know, you're stuck, you know, the children drop off. What goes on there? I've got to say here where I live is really good. There's lots of parents who walk their children to school. It's fantastic. They wander, they go past it and you've got snow when there is snow here. They're all, they're all in the little snow booths and it's like the cutest thing to look at, you know. So I'm not looking at the squirrels then. I'm actually looking at the children walking past with their parents. Um, and it's, it's really, really lovely. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's very convenient as well. Um, you know, isn't it? You know, it's sort of, um, obviously yeah. the travel time is by bicycle oh. is better. What you see in Netherlands is that kids just cycle to school. I mean, there is no yes. parent involved. It's a very safe country. Mm. Uh, the the drivers are used to cyclists because they're all around you. So we have hardly any accidents. Nobody wears a helmet except for tourists. And yeah. uh, <laughs> children just bike to school at a, at a very yeah. young age already. They just get on their bike and, and, and go there. And it's it's perfectly safe. And when, when I tell that to foreigners... <laughs> They are they're, they're they're flabbergasted. Like, how is that possible? Aren't they kidnapped and aren't they killed on the road by cars, etc.? Well, no, that doesn't happen. And as long as it doesn't happen, we continue doing it. And um, and it's also yeah. nice to recognize the foreigners that try it biking now because they wear these huge helmets. You know, like they're they're on some kind of motorcycle, expecting to be killed on the first corner that they cross, and they find it really exciting. And for us, it's just yeah, a way of a way of uh, transport. So uh, another thing you see in the in the Netherlands, which is a very interesting trend, is that um, uh, we are rapidly moving now to electric bicycles. So we sell uh, since last year we sell annually more electric bicycles than normal bicycles. Um, what that has changed is that people still go on on. We have more bicycles than people in the country. Many people have two bicycles, so you still go on a normal bicycle. You go to to let's say do your your evening shopping in the supermarket, but if you want to go for a, a little bit further away, then an electric bicycle makes all the difference. So, mm. for instance, in my village on the island in Burghamstede, which is impossible to pronounce if you're not born in my country. <laughs> Um, if I then cycle to what is the big city, the nearest mm. town, it's just 10,000 people, but it's the biggest uh, city on the island. If I cycle it, it's like one hour. Um, cycling back is always against the wind. It always comes from the southwest. So, but when you arrive in the city, you're hot and sweaty, and it's 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 been it's, it's been more than you know. It's a nice exercise, but it's not for if you want to do there your shopping. That's not very handy. But if you then do it. With an electric bike, it, the time of cycling is reduced from one hour to just um, uh, to half an hour. You you can do that thirty kilometers an hour, 
and you arrive there all fresh and relaxed, etc. And you do your mm-hmm. shopping, you go back. So once I am going to live permanently on the island, one of the first things that I will do is buy one of those electric bikes. I think by then I have the age that I don't have to be ashamed to, uh, to sit on the electric bike. <laughs> say i love the idea of actually you know i've seen them um, on some of these uh office you know sort of like uh alternative office desk things where you can you have these pedals that can um charge your mobile phone and i've seen them actually sort of connected up on bicycles and i think what a cool idea so not only are you kind of like you know using your own energy to get you and, and losing the pie the pie weight <laughs> that you've eaten yeah. <laughs> um yeah. on the way to work or whatever but you can charge your mobile phone up as well i think it's i think it's fantastic you know and like you mentioned actually it's the convenience of a bicycle is great because you can park park right where you want to where you want to put it it's a lot quicker as well um generally you know sort of especially within the city because you can like you say whiz past everybody and um you know and it's it's, it's more predictable as well so it's um it's it's really good and and the city you know I mentioned the social benefits too you know it's um it's independent travel as well um you know for those who might have restricted travel options um and it offers obviously increased mobility to many groups of the population which you know they can't afford a car for instance, you know, they, they might, might not be, uh, they might be low owner earners um, or they're unemployed, for instance, seniors, you know, <laughs> um, or, um, you know, people under 18, you know, under 18. And yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's really quite, really quite good. You know? Yeah, right. Yeah. So, well, I, I would love to see Glasgow when they introduce all this. I mean, there's a lot, 270 extra kilometers uh, of yes. past. That is, <laughs> much more serious than they did here in Ottawa. In Ottawa, they're really proud on a few cycling lanes, which are horribly dangerous. Um, but at least they painted the cycle on the road. And, and, uh, it's, it's, it's called huge progress. I don't, I don't see it yet. And sometimes you're stuck there. You, you, you're at the end of the cycle lane and you have no idea how to cross to the other side. Um, although the good thing here in Ottawa is that outside of the city, they made really nice cycling paths along, uh, along the Ottawa River, etc. So that is uh, that is a, a positive aspect. <laughs> exactly. Um, it's, yeah. It, it's it's great to live here. I shouldn't complain, although it is still snowing. Um, <laughs> but that will go over at such a moment. Hey, I'm looking at the clock. We've been doing it now for 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 about uh, f- uh, 45 minutes, which I always think is is a kind of nice uh, time for for a podcast. We were going to talk about plastic. We can we can maybe move that to next week. What do you think? Good plan. I think so. Yeah. Plastic plan I'm not sure for next what week. The audience thinks. Um, <laughs> hey guys, listening, you can. There is this button. You can call in. That's why why the app is called uh, Call In. Um, and oh, there we oh. have a caller. Evelyn is calling in. Um, let me see. Take next caller. So Evelyn, you can unmute yourself. I think it's bottom right. I hope you find it. Yeah. Okay. I think are. I found it. Hi, Evelyn. Hi. Can you hear me? I can hear you. You're a little bit far away, which is literally true because I know that you live in Switzerland. <laughs> is it better now? You're really difficult to hear. Okay. Can you try to say something? Yeah, I'm just getting my headphones on my ears. Ah, this we is can much hear better. You. This is much oh, yeah, better. Oh, you can hear me better now. Okay, Yes, good. it works. Okay. I was just going to um, answer Vanessa's question about... Um, cycling routes and we have plenty here mm-hmm. but um in the cities it's kind of it's kind of difficult i mean i live in a it's not a big well not none of our cities are big 
compared to other places. But I would pro- probably never ride my bike in Zurich. Okay. To me, that's diffi- um, difficult. Well, difficult too, but um, dangerous. And huh. Lucerne is quite dangerous. I have a feeling it's quite dangerous because I saw like how people rode their bikes and there were buses in the bike lanes, and it was all a mess. <laughs> but um, outside of the cities and just to get, you know, to get some exercise, it's it's really good. But mm-hmm. um, we could definitely improve city center cycling. I should, I would say. Yeah. What's what's your favorite bit about cycling? What do you like? What's what sort of you know? If you were gonna trying to persuade somebody to to do cycling, what would you? Uh, what 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 sort of you know? How would you say like you know? That's, that's great about it. Um. What I like best is just to be, to be outdoors and to get places faster than by walking. I think mm-hmm. that's my main thing. And I just, mm-hmm. um, I don't know. I grew up without a car, so I rode my bike everywhere to the mm-hmm. train station to, you know, we went shopping by bike and stuff like that. So I've always, I've always mm-hmm. loved it. But it's just, um, mm-hmm. in terms of getting from A to B, it's not always my uh, my preferred mode of transport because buses here run every seven minutes, so I'm kind of lazy that way <laughs> to get to the station. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> but what, what Alex was saying before, you know, just to get into um, closer to work or to city center, um, you also have um, trains, buses, and trams here that that help. But mm-hmm. it. Um, it can be it can be faster than cars. I can't remember who said it that when you're stuck in traffic. I think it was Alex that um, bikes are passing you, <laughs> and that you know when I when I sit on the bus on the way home from work, I'm sometimes like, you know, if I was on my bike, <laughs> you'd be home already. Right <laughs> so that, that happens too. So I guess it could save you time, and it's good exercise. Yeah. Um, but then I wake up at five in the morning and I'm like, nah. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Actually, that's, that is the big thing, isn't it? When the weather's iffy, it's the last thing you want to do. I, it used to really put me off as well when I was in Manchester, because obviously, I don't, if you know, in Manchester, it always rains. It rains every oh, yeah. single day. When I lived up there, I had one pair of boots and I just wore them every day. So, you know, but Ben went the flip-flops and, and just, you know, all the, the lovely shoes that I had and the sandals. Nah, just one pair of boots the whole five <laughs> years I was there. But um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm like, I'm with you. When it starts raining, I'm like, nah, I don't really want to do that. You know, so yeah, yeah. Fish and bus routes are always good. So that's another option, actually, we should talk about, we should, at some stage, talk about public transport and the, the joys, the joys of, of, uh, of that. But thanks, thanks so much, Evelyn, for calling yeah. in. Really appreciate that. So. One more thing. Yeah. I got some plans and I'm blaming that on you, Vanessa. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> excellent excellent you can't have enough plants i'm hoping you, uh, how many have you got how many how many plants have you got i got three okay and now my main goal is just to keep them alive because um <laughs> i don't have the best track record on that uh, okay well I've, i can if you if they i don't know which what you've got but if if they die I would I would just suggest you go out and buy some what we use what we call here in the UK mother-in-law's tongues, which I think the Sansevera, and they're brilliant. You can't kill them as long as you, you can overwater them, <laughs> but you can just leave them. You have to dust the leaves occasionally. So um, we could do a podcast about plant plant keeping at some stage right. as well. <laughs> well, well done. Thanks, thanks so much. <laughs> thanks. 
Thank you, Evelyn. So uh, that's you're now officially an influencer. That is great. <laughs> By talking about plants, <laughs> you have at least convinced <laughs> one listener to, to buy plants in the house. So um, uh, that's uh, that's great, Evelyn. And uh, that is that is good to hear. By the way, for, for those of you that listen and that prefer to write uh, in, 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 instead of speak, uh, any suggestions you have for other subjects about green living um are are most welcome so you can you can write you can just use this this kind of envelope that is somewhere top right on the app uh or uh, contact one of us uh, via instagram or by email or through the newsletter or there are many ways to uh, to contact uh, one of us um so green living is uh that's, that's the word we chose but the idea is it's everything that that brings you together with the environment so any anything how, how you can how you are influenced by your environment how you can how you can make better choices in life uh to yeah to live more green to be more conscious of nature and uh, and and your impact on it uh, and how nature impacts you so for instance putting plants in your house uh, is let nature impact you and there's mm-hmm. there's proven studies that uh, that say that uh, the mood of Evelyn must have improved tremendously by <laughs> buying these three plants uh, and I, I hope by watering them the mood of the plants stays, uh, stays, <laughs> stays good as well <laughs> okay I think this was fun um, any, any last thoughts from you Ness? Oh uh, no! I just um, I think I just need to go and buy a bicycle that um, a will take my weight because <laughs> I've got lockdown lock, lockdown belly like I think most people have um, and um, yeah and also if yeah. we're going to be talking about plastics <laughs> yeah yeah it's great isn't it um, but if we're going to be talking about plastics next week if if listeners um, either the listeners who are listening right now or the ones who are going to be listening subsequently um, if you've got any comments or you want to sort of raise something. Um, yeah, like you say, send sort of links in anything that might be relevant to to plastics. But um, what I would do, want to talk about is where where you find plastics in the most unsuspected places. For instance, in chewing gum. <laughs> so wow. yes, yeah. So once you chew chewing gum, you already got plastic in your mouth, and some of that will come mm. in. But yeah, we'll we'll talk more about uh, plastic next time, and I'm sure we might have uh, uh, a few other issues that uh, that pop up. Um, what do I want to say? Oh, yes, the planning. We uh, will make this a weekly one on Monday instead of Tuesday, but next week we will do it on Thursday. So next week on Thursday will be a bit strange because I will be twice podcasting, one at 11 o'clock with Ness, and then the usual one that I do with Alistair Doyle at 3 o'clock on Thursday will also be next week. So... Uh, you'll get an overdose of me next week <laughs> on Thursday. So we will not be there on um, on Tuesday. And uh, from then onwards, which on top of my head is I think Monday 14, uh, we will mm-hmm. be here every Monday at 11 o'clock. So you can start your week with all these uh, green positive uh, thoughts of how to uh, how to live more green. Um, while I'm talking to you, I look at my agenda because I will be back here uh, tomorrow. And, uh, 
uh, that will be at, there we are, at 2 o'clock, uh, 2.30 Eastern Time. Uh, so that's the time in New York. Um, and uh, then again the next day on Thursday, half an hour later at 3 o'clock uh, with Alistair Doyle. And if anything else pops up, I will just post it on Colin and Twitter and, uh, and you know how to find me. Okay, well, with that, I would like to thank you very much and hope to, um, to see or hear you all back uh, tomorrow. And uh, thank you, Ness, as well. Okay, thanks so much. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye.